Okay. Uh, tomorrow we remember Reverend Dr. L- Martin Luther King Jr., uh, his life, his work, um, as somebody of importance, somebody who has truly made a difference, somebody who lived for a cause bigger than themselves. And as certainly Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is a human and not perfect, but um, I have found a lot of lessons from him beyond just the tweetable comments, beyond just what's shared on Facebook, whether it's fact or fiction. Uh, in fact, what one of my traditions has become to um, annually read his letter from a Birmingham jail. Uh, it's Birmingham. It's be, Okay, you get it. You can find it um, on the internet, the full letter. Uh, that takes, depending on your reading speed, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 minutes. I highly recommend it. It's relevant today. On the screen, what you see is uh, Dr. Howard Thurman. Dr. Howard Thurman was one of Reverend Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s mentors and a mentor, a pastor and an author, but a mentor to many of the civil rights movement leaders, uh, but most specifically to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, he's, he's written 20 books, and I, I've not uh, read them, for in the case of honesty, full disclosure. But in reading through the titles of these books... They look like they are still very much relevant today. Okay? I think living in Baltimore, we are well aware of the fact that we're not there yet. Right? In our society, we are not at a place of living in the shalom that is the righteousness, peace, and, uh, and uh, righteousness, peace, and joy of God that is what Jesus said is the kingdom of God. We're not there yet. Right? We have fur- further to go. I see a lot of agreement. That's good. Now, I like this quote from uh, Dr. Howard Thurman. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who can come alive. I like that quote. And I actually think it's relevant to our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because obviously, he, in part, what he's talking about is the love of God. This past week, I heard about some recent studies on brain science, and brain science shows that humans will start their day either activating their love center, the love part of their brain, or their fear center, their fear part of their brain. My recommendation to you, when you wake up, before your feet hit the floor, is to say, God, I love you, or if that's Still a little bit difficult. God, I believe you saved me because you love me. I'm going to say that again as it's twice as nice. Or thrice. God, I believe you saved me because you love me. We're finished the first week of prayer and fasting. It's easy to be tired and grouchy and just focused on what I'm feeling. I submit to you that what you're feeling can change if you will start your morning considering that God loves you. That's a little bit of what we are going to talk about today. We're going to sing, come back to a a song, and we're going to spend a little bit more time in prayer today. Um, And so I'm going to speak more briefly than usual. Don't get too excited. (laughs) I want to 
talk about last Sunday and this Sunday, we've introduced a, a song that's new to us, Reckless Love. Have you enjoyed that? You know, all the songs that we sing in church are available on YouTube and, and other sources. You can listen to them. And I, I, we, we take uh, very seriously how we choose these songs. And I want to turn to Luke 15. If you've got your Bible app open or, or your uh, hard copy, Luke 15. Dr. Luke had, the beginning of this document, said that much investigation had gone into it to examine all the eyewitness accounts and to record very carefully the exact truth of the events as they played out. Um, and this letter written to Theophilus, written so that he could be confident that what he believed was the truth. Um, and, I, and I like that. So Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read from the New Living. Tax collectors, which were more despised then than they are now. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger told his father, I want to, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeling the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Self, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick! 
Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast. For this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house. Asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And at all the time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fatted calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your young brother was dead, has come back to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So let's take into consideration Jesus is describing for them what God is like, what the love of God is like. And let's remember the context for this setting. Jesus is in an environment where religious people have muttered in a way that other people can hear because it's recorded in the story. Right, right? They've muttered, why is he hanging around with this lot? Why, why is he spending time? Why would he eat with people like this? Jesus' response to that is to tell these stories, to refer to this analogy, to describe the way that God loves us. So it is not melodramatic. It is not overly emotional for us to sing these songs and feel this way, talk this way about God's love for us. In fact, it is our reasonable response to the love of God to get a little bit gooey. I just real quick give you a little bit of context for these stories and point out some commonality in them. He starts with talking about a shepherd. Anyone here know an actual shepherd? Okay, a couple. So let me explain to the rest of you a little bit about what that means. Earning a living from taking care of sheep is hard work. It's not easy. But you're an entrepreneur. You're essentially your own boss. Taking care of the sheep is a part of your personal identity. It's a part of how you would define yourself, taking care of the sheep. And a good shepherd has to move the sheep around over the course of the year in order for them to stay well-fed and also get enough exercise to be healthy. And a good shepherd can get sheep to a place where they feel safe, and they have to feel safe before they will eat. A good shepherd will can get a hundred sheep to actually stay in a location safe and sound for a little while. And yet we see this analogy that if one has wandered off, which happens because when sheep eat, they, as you see in the picture on the screen, they have to put their head down. And when they put their head down and they're crunching on the grass, they don't hear as well. And what they're being led by is their cravings. Is it making any sense to you about how we get lost sometimes? Head down, not focused on the voice of the shepherd, the good shepherd. And say, leaves the 99 for the one. 
And the second analogy that we have here, the lost coin. Now what you may or may not be aware of, what you see pictured on the screen is in, in that day and age and some of the cultures that Jesus was speaking to, a, a necklace or a headdress of ten coins put together on a chain was actually the wedding ring, if you will. A sign that she was a married woman. A sign that there was somebody that had enough substance, actually had a job, right? That he could afford to pay for the wedding ring, which was this necklace or headpiece of ten silver coins. But their culture also said that if she lost one of the coins, she could be divorced. And in that culture, a divorced woman was not allowed to make a living. Now, they found other ways too, but it culturally was not acceptable. So what we find here is that the lost coin has not wandered off by the sake of their own cravings. The lost coin is an inanimate object. And Jesus, I think, in some way is saying that there are some people that are lost that don't know they're lost, and some people that are lost that it's not due to any fault of their own. And us religious folks would do good to take that into consideration from time to time. Jesus is not only giving us a lesson in Father God, he's also giving us a lesson in the lost, or what we would call Luke chapter 15, lostology. It's like an extra subtitle to reckless love, which is our actual topic for the day. So, but what do we see that the woman does? She has assigned her personal identity to this coin, and different than my children who are not in the room, they're not good at looking for things when they are lost. What the phrase in my house is, is look until you find it. Now, I, I don't think recommend you say that to your kids. It's a result of my carnal impatience with my children that I say that. But I do think that on the good side, we see that in this story. She looks for the coin until she finds it. And we find a commonality with the other stories. When she finds it, there's a party. Are you with me? Now, we also see the parable, the story of the lost son. Now, we could talk about this for hours, of course. It's a very important story. I'll explain just a little bit of the cultural context to you. Uh, inheritance could be paid out early, which is what happens here. A demand for the inheritance then means that the son is not really due anything else. Uh, there's a couple other things that are important to this story. Uh, it was improper for men to run in public, especially the more substance you had, the more cultural cachet, if you will, the more important you were, you would not run in public, which is what we see done here. It's not only, though, that the father has assigned his personal identity, as is the case in every other story, his personal identity, even to the son who betrayed him, used him, Right? But also, in that day and in that culture, a son that did something like this, that shamed his family in that way, if anybody from the village saw him again, they had the right to throw rocks at him until he died. Do some reading, you'll discover this is true. They could kill him. So the son is coming back to the town. There's, the father runs to him. It is a hallmark commercial slow motion love moment, yes, but it is not only compassion out of which the father running, it is also protection. It is also literally the father taking the lost son to the point of identity that he would be willing to extend himself that if rocks were going to be thrown, it would be to hit him and not the son. Wow. Jesus is saying in response to their questioning his behavior... That God has sent me for those who know they need it. 
And we all have different stories. A part of my story is that I was a prodigal. I was a prodigal to the point in a larger church, a fairly kind of prominent family, not, you know, poor family, but kind of prominent family in a larger church. And my elders, my parents were elders in the church and dean of the Bible college, etc., etc. That when I came back to faith, people were flipping out. To the effect that even today, when I go back home, there are parents who have kids who have wandered away that come and find me and ask me to pray for their kids. They look me up on Facebook during the year. That ask me to call their kids. That ask me to talk to their kids. That's how lost I was. That's how jacked up I was. There were people in the church that gave up on me. There were people that said, you're a lost cause. I thank God my parents never gave up on me, but the truth of the matter is they didn't know what to do with me. I put them at a place of being at a loss for what to do with me. That's a part of my life story. It doesn't make my story any more valuable than anybody else's, but it's a part of my story. I was called a black sheep. I had people that came up to me and said, your parents are perfect, your sister's perfect, what's wrong with you? Seriously. I had people come up, young men come up to me, I would kill to have your father. What is the matter with you? That's a part of my story. I am who I am today because God didn't give up on me. Because everywhere I, four or five nights a week, I'm sneaking out of the house, out in the middle of the night, walking the streets because didn't didn't have a car, right? I'm out, I'm out walking the streets of the city doing Lord knows what, right? But God chased me every night. How does Jesus know that God is like this? Well, we know God revealed through John, John chapter 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus was with God from creation. Jesus has been knowing Father God a long time. But we do one other thing. I want to turn to Psalm 23 real quick. And you probably have it memorized from the old King James, but I'll read it to you from the New Living. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Now this is a song that Jesus would have sung. Every Jewish boy at this point is memorizing these and praying these and singing these. And a faithful translation of that last verse would say this, your goodness and unfailing love or mercy, love, pursue me. And here's what the the original Hebrew, here's what it means. They chase me, they tackle me to the ground, they overwhelm me. That's what the actual Hebrew would be translated in English today. So, here's the lyrics of the song. 
Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. We could lift the words of that song from Psalm 23 and Luke 15. That's the kind of God that you serve. That's the way that God loves you. So how do we respond? What do we do? Well, let's receive it. Receive. Let's be transformed. Let's be changed by the fact that God loves us like this. Not in a human sort of way, a contractual arrangement. I will love you as long as you please me. No, that's not the love of God. Let's, and let's not just receive the love of God in a box that we've created in our mind and we just check it off. Okay, I received the love of God that one time. But instead, let's receive the reckless love of God for us every day and in every moment and in every area of our life. If we do this in this way, then God is removing guilt. And He's restoring our relationship with us. Let's receive the reckless love of God that He has for us. It is true. It is our reasonable response. And let's respond By growing, Ephesians 3.16, let your roots grow down into the love of God that you would be changed. And let us share it. And ask the band to come on, come on back up and we're going to sing that song again and then Ben Farrell is going to lead us into a time of prayer. Today I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to be changed by the reckless love of God, to fire your imagination, to respond to the words that you have read today, that you have heard today, to be changed by considering prayerfully, humbly, completely, that God's love for you is not what you can comprehend in one human moment. It is not fair for us to relate to God as though He are, He is human. It is not right or reasonable or just for us to receive His love as though it is the love of a human. God's love is unfailing. God's love is never-ending. God's love for us is not reasonable. There is every reason in the world that God would give up on me. I was a hopeless case not worth anything to God in the state that I was in. And yet, He didn't give up on me. He didn't turn away from me. And yet He loved me. And yet He loves you. God saved you because He loves you.